in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, moving our way through Galatians on Sunday nights. We're almost done with Ezekiel in the mornings, and we'll be picking up in Matthew. Actually, Matthew will be starting in a couple weeks, but uh, still working our way through Galatians. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, going through verse 11, a message I've entitled, Do You Know? Do You Know? Galatians 4, beginning in verse 8. Howbeit then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And so asking the question tonight, do you know. A man walked into a drugstore and asked the pharmacist if he had a cure for hiccups. The pharmacist kind of got a little smile on his face and he walked around the counter and he approached the man. He reached out and slapped the man in the middle of his back. The pharmacist then looked and asked the man, you still have your hiccups? As the man composed himself after such a sudden blow, he answered the pharmacist said, no, I don't, but I'll just bet that my wife in my car still does. The pharmacist didn't know who was the one with the hiccups. Do you know? So Paul talks about, first of all, when you didn't know. When you didn't know, Paul reminds the Galatians of their pagan past in verse 8. He says, you served other gods. They're not really gods, he said, but that's who you were serving in your past. Back when they didn't know the one true God. They served other gods that weren't gods at all. People have been created to worship, and we will worship. We'll either worship idols like the Galatians did, we'll worship money like so many Americans do, we'll worship self like all atheists do, and like most Americans do. We have been created to worship, and we will worship. If it's not God, it's something else, we're going to worship. Think of your past before you knew God. Just think back before you knew God. Thankfully, many of you were raised in the faith and you cannot. The knowledge of God has always been part of your life. I know I was raised by Christian parents. You know them. Uh, we were, you know, in church every Sunday. I was just telling somebody, it might have been Dean, I, don't know, I was telling somebody that it was dad's job to wake us up on Sunday mornings to go to church. Now, I'm a kid. I don't want to go to church, all right? And I was awake, wide awake, but I would stay in bed and pretend to be asleep, hoping dad would forget because he was always downstairs. He'd get dressed, and then he'd watch Rex Humbard and Jimmy Swaggart and <laughs> Oral Roberts, you name it. Didn't matter how wrong they were. Dad watched them all. And I thought, you know what? He'll forget. It'll be too late, and then we won't go to church. Dad never failed to wake us up. We were always in church every Sunday. And so the knowledge of God has always been part of my life. I can't think of a time when I didn't know about God. But there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. You can know all about God and not know God. There's a lot of professors in, in seminaries and in Ivy League schools that can tell you everything about God, everything about the Bible, but they don't know God. They don't know Him in a personal way. And while 
maybe most of you who were raised in the faith, you can't remember a time when you didn't know God. Some of you remember very well what it was like. The sinfulness, the hopelessness, the fearfulness. We live in a world full of people who do not know God. That's the fact. We live in a world of people who do not know God. And they're not off in Africa somewhere. They're right here among us. And they don't know God. Not only do they not know about God, not only do they not know God in a personal way, they don't even know about God. I remember reading a story, it was years ago, but this family had a nativity scene. It was Christmas time, and they put it up on their, uh, their mantle. You know, baby Jesus and the wise men, all that kind of stuff. And this boy comes in from the neighborhood. I guess he was friends with their son or something. He comes in, he, he looks at that nativity scene, and he asks the mom. He said, who's the kid? No idea. In America, no idea. It's not only that they don't know God personally, they don't even know anything about Him. Sadly, perhaps some of you are still living in your past before knowing God. You may be new to the faith or you may have been raised in the faith. Well, you can get to know God by getting to know His Son, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior. And it starts by taking the first step of believing Jesus Christ how he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and he rose again the third day. That's where it begins. I was talking to a lady last week, and she's got all kinds of problems. Gary, thank you so much for referring her to me. (laughs) But anyway, she got all... No, I'm just kidding. I'll talk to anybody. Uh, But anyway, uh, she's got all kinds of problems. And she'd been going to two Bible studies a week and church and all this... Not here. Don't try to figure out, oh, I think I know who that is. (laughs) But anyway... uh, And I said, you know, you've told me all this background, going to church and Bible studies, your grandpa was a preacher, all of that. I said, but I haven't heard you say you took the very first step of receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's where it all begins. You can't run till you walk. You can't get to the end of your your thousand-mile journey unless you take the first step. And the first step is to receive Christ. And she hadn't done that. But I told her, You can take that first step right with me on the telephone right now. Because she knew all about Jesus. She knew how he died on the cross. She knew how he rose again. She knew all that. She had all that head knowledge. All she needed to do was receive it and make it personal. And for that to come into her heart. And as soon as I told her that, you know what she said to me? Well, thank you for talking to me. Goodbye. When you didn't know. But secondly, Paul talks about, now you know God. Look in verse 9. But now after that you have known God. And so there was this time when you didn't know Him, but now you know Him. God is personal and can be known personally. The Galatians came to know God personally. By God's grace through faith as presented by the Apostle Paul, they came to know God personally. And knowing God changed their lives drastically. Because, my friends, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And when you know Jesus Christ in a personal way, he will change your life. And if your life hasn't been changed, you just know about him, you don't know him. He'll change you, drastically, radically change you. You just won't be the same person anymore. And Paul knew that. He had seen the change in the Galatians' life. 
I want to ask you tonight, how is your life different because you know God? You, you claim to know God. I claim to know God. How are our lives different because we know God? What kind of thoughts do you think? Are they pure thoughts? The Bible says we're to think pure thoughts. Do you have lots of thoughts about God? I mean, yes, you have other important things you need to do. You need to, you know, buy groceries, take care of your family, and go to doctor's appointments. Those are important things. But you should be thinking a lot about God all throughout the day, are you? Do you think like you know God? What about your actions? Are you living a lifestyle that brings glory to God? Are you avoiding a lifestyle that dishonors God? In your behavior, in your actions, do you act like you know God? 1 Peter 1.16 makes it very clear. God says, be holy even as I am holy, saith the Lord. What about your vocabulary? The words that you choose to use. Do you use wholesome language? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 29 puts it this way. No, it doesn't. Where am I? Ephesians 5, 28. Hmm. Okay, I got a wrong reference here. It's uh, 429. Sorry about that. Let uh, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. And so we should be using wholesome language. And by the way, when we looked at this word where it says, let no corrupt communication, the word corrupt in the Greek literally means rotten. Let no rotten communication, no rotten words come out of your mouth. A filthy mouth dishonors the God who made it. A filthy mouth dishonors the person who uses it. Some people have a harmful mouth. Oh, they might not use bad words, but they use bad sentences like being mean-spirited or gossiping. Sometimes we may have a careless mouth. Now, pagans believe in chance, luck, and fortune. We must not promote their gods with our vocabulary. You see, when they say, oh, you were lucky. Oh, well, you know, you might take a chance at that. Chance and luck and fortune, these were pagan gods. And we Christians use that vocabulary. This just being careless with our vocabulary. Unless I'm preaching on the subject, you will never hear me talk about luck. You'll never hear me talk about chance. Sometimes I accidentally say, unfortunately, and I I hate to use that word. I always try to catch myself because I don't believe in fortune. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in chance. These words, by definition, are bad theology. I don't believe in a God who allows chance, luck, and fortune. I believe in a God who is sovereign over everything. That's why one of my favorite verses is Proverbs 16 and verse 22. It says the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. In other words, we may roll the dice. God is bringing the numbers up. That's the kind of God I believe in. And when you believe in a God like that, there's no chance. There's no luck. There's no fortune. There is just providence from a sovereign God. So sometimes it's not a filthy mouth that we have. It's not a harmful mouth. It's a careless mouth. Instead, we should have a gracious mouth. A gracious mouth that encourages others. A gracious mouth that edifies others. A gracious mouth that shares our faith in God with others. That's what should be coming out of our mouth. Wholesome, encouraging, edifying, evangelizing words. 
So do you talk like you know God? There's those commercials from Capital One. What's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? What's in your heart? Because Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you've got junk coming out of your mouth, Jesus says you've got junk in your heart. But if you've got wholesome stuff coming out of your mouth, encouraging, edifying, evangelizing words, then that's what's in your heart. What's in your heart? The Galatians knew God, but then they were misled by others. They were turning from their relationship to religion. They were turning from being free sons to imprisoned slaves. Paul called this religion weak, beggarly, and imprisoning. Weak, beggarly, and imprisoning. Notice in verse 9, he says, How do you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? This religion that the Galatians were speeding towards was powerless. It was worthless. It was freedomless. They were even observing specific Jewish calendar dates. Look in verse 10. You observe days and months and times and years. Now the Galatians is not like they had a Jewish past. They didn't. They were Gentiles. They had been pagans. But these Judaizers, they started with circumcision and then they kept going. And they were starting to observe these special Jewish days. They were trading a relationship for rules. And Paul was genuinely concerned that he had wasted their, his efforts with them. Look how he ends in verse 11. I'm afraid of you, lest I've bestowed upon you labor in vain. The Apostle Paul himself is saying, I think I might have wasted my time with you guys. I mean, I laid it out for you. Grace alone. Through Christ alone, or grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone, I laid it out for you. And now you're going to these days and months and years and circumcision and all this Old Testament stuff. He says, I wonder if I wasted my time. Because I shared with you a relationship. You guys are moving to religion. God doesn't care about religion. He wants a relationship. But genuine knowledge of Christ leads to genuine freedom in Christ. I want, you to, I want you to remember that. Genuine knowledge of Christ, when you really know him, leads to genuine freedom in Christ. Paul would say, be as I am. Paul was free in Christ. Paul would say to the Galatians, I am as you are. Paul was a Jew, but he had been emancipated. Paul wanted them to use their freedom in Christ to pursue a relationship, not religion. My friends, don't be ever satisfied with a cursory knowledge of God. Get to know Him more and more and more. Through worship, through Bible reading, through prayer, through serving Him and serving His people. Never say, you know what, I know enough. I, you know, I've, I've read the Bible through and I've gone to Sunday school for years. I just, I know enough. I'm good. The Apostle Paul said of himself, I haven't arrived yet. And if he's arrived now, <laughs> but he hadn't arrived yet on this earth. And I haven't and you haven't. And so we continue to pursue 
that knowledge of God. So Paul reminds them when they didn't know. And then he says, but now you know. And then he corrects himself. Look in verse 9. I love this. Are you known? He says, but now after you have known God, or rather are known of God. Knowing about God is insufficient to save us. We need to be known by God. Now let me explain. God knows each and every one of us as our creator. Because the Bible teaches that God was personally involved in making each and every one of us. We just recently on Wednesday night, we're, uh, we're in the book of Psalms. <clears throat> and uh, in Psalm 139, this is one of those passages that comes up for Sanctity of Life you know, Sunday and so on, we talk about the value of human life and babies and so on. But Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13, David says, For you have possessed my range, you've covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. God was personally involved in making each and every one of us. The word possessed there uh, means to erect. The word covered means to knit together. Each human being, even identical twins, are a unique creative act of God. I think only God could make billions of unique individuals. I mean, how many ways can you rearrange the same body parts? You ever played with uh, Mr. Potato Head? You know, he's got the ears and the hands and the nose. I mean, you can only do so much. And yet God has made billions. I don't know how many people he's made. Billions. Trillions, I don't know. And each one of us, even identical twins, are unique. Only God could do that. And so David says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The word fearful means awesome. We are awesomely made and wonderfully made. So God knows each and every person as creator, but God knows his people in a special way as their Savior through Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, now, after you've known God, or rather are known of God, God had always known the Galatians. He knew them from all eternity as their creator. But Paul's talking about something different here. Because God knows his people in a special way as their Savior through Christ. It is a personal knowledge. It is an intimate knowledge. It is a life-changing knowledge. It is an eternal knowledge. That's when God knows us. We are known by Christ when he reveals himself to us. When Jesus reveals himself, we realize his perfection and our imperfection. We realize his sinlessness and our sinfulness. We realize his sacrifice and our need for his sacrifice. We realize his ability to save us and our inability to save ourselves. And once we are known of God, the gospel becomes ours personally. It's not just that Jesus died for the sins of the world. It's Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus was buried for me. Jesus rose again from the dead for me. Very personal. And once God knows us as Savior, he will not forget us ever. He will not forget us ever. We are eternally saved by him. We are eternally secure in him. But if God doesn't know you, And again, God knows everybody as creator, but I'm talking about this special knowledge and salvation. If God doesn't know you, one day you will hear the saddest words in all the Bible, the saddest words, I believe, in all of history. And they're from that same chapter in Matthew where Jesus was talking about the narrow gate that I shared today. Just down a few verses, Matthew chapter 7, 
and verse 23, Jesus says this. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now, now who's he saying this to? Well, go up a couple verses. Verse 21 says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name done many wonderful works. These aren't bad people. These are church people. These are people who have prophesied. These are people who, when it comes to demons, they have exercised. I'm not talking about the other exercise. I don't do that. But anyway, uh, they have prophesied. They have exercised. They have served. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I don't know you. I've never known you. Now, he knew him as creator, of course. But he didn't know them in this personal, special, saving way. And the reason I believe these are the saddest words in the Bible and the saddest words in all of history is these are good people. These are nice people. These are church people who have spent their lives serving. But God didn't know them. They didn't have a personal relationship with God. And they will spend eternity in hell. And so, Dean, it's not just the folks that are atheists out there. It's not just the folks that don't believe. There's plenty of folks, if you were to ask them to their face, do you believe? They would say, yes, I believe. And I'm, I do this in my church and I do that in my church. And, and I'm a good person and so on and so on and so on. And they're going to hell too. If God doesn't know them. It's not what you say, Lord, Lord. It's not what you do. Prophesy, exercise, serve. It's not even who you know, because you can know all about God. It's who knows you. And that's what Paul says here. He says, after that you know God or are known of God, that's what really matters. Because if God doesn't know you, you will spend eternity separated from God in hell. Make sure that you are known Make sure you're truly saved. Don't make me repeat myself about the narrow gate. Christ is the only way. You need to receive him. Nothing else works. Nothing else could. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. And so Paul, writing to the Galatians, says, when you didn't know. He said, you know what? You guys had your whole life up until you met me. You didn't know God. Let's not worry about that. Because now you know God. But the real question, does God know you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight to sing your praises, to hear your word, to fellowship together. Bless us as we leave this place. Keep us safe and bring us back safely at the next appointed time. May you be glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.